Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Derek Rose of the Conscious Resistance, The Greater Reset, and many other projects. He's produced Pyramid of Power. He's author of the second edition now of How to Opt Out of the Technocratic State. You can download down, download that for free or purchase it and, and help support him. He's also founder of the Freedom Cells Network and many more projects I can't even keep tra- track of. Welcome to Geopolitics and Empire, Derek. Hey, thank you for having me on, brother. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for the work that you do. Yeah, thanks for uh, coming on. I've been following you for uh, a while. We've got some mutual uh, friends and, um, you know, we talk a lot about the same stuff, the Great Reset, technocracy and, and that sort of thing. And we'll be getting into that uh, today. Uh, again, your, the second edition of your book is out. People can download it for free. The link will be in the description or uh, I prefer to purchase my guests books and help uh, support them. And, you know, I, I tend to always be looking at everything with in, in the big picture mode. So I, mm-hmm. I lump a lot of these things together that we'll be talking about because I see them as overlapping, if not a single sure. agenda. Technocracy, smart cities, uh, what I like to call the algorithm ghetto or electronic mm-hmm. concentration camp or digital dictatorship or social credit system. And of course, COVID-1984, the biosecurity or biomedical uh, security state, which uh, we'll get into. And um, I don't think the angle that this is emanating from China, China is maybe more advanced in some aspects, but I think this is a global transnational elite that, that's penetrated virtually all governments and who are bringing these systems in from China to, to Mexico, where we usually are uh, at. And so, Derek, maybe if you want to give us your sort of data dump or memory dump on uh, technocracy and the algorithm ghetto. Yeah, I like that term algorithm ghetto and the digital concentration camps. Uh, I think all those terms work and you're correct also that these um these various topics that we can that we're going to get into they they intersect and they overlap and i also think that it's um a sort of a red herring or a false narrative to blame everything on china obviously there's some really atrocious things going on in china just like many governments around the world saudi arabia other places but uh, i don't buy into this more conservative kind of look that it's everything is china's fault or we just got to stop china and then we'll stop the new world order or something like that or maybe even the other perspective that is sometimes out there in the independent alternative media, which is that Russia and China are secretly on our side and they're fighting that, you know, so I don't really buy into any of that stuff there. I agree with you, though, that it's, like you said, a transnational kind of international uh, group of individuals and organizations that also intersect and overlap. And maybe at times their agendas are not always on the same page, but by and large, they see themselves as more closely aligned than they see you know, as they do with the people, uh, that would be us, you know. So um, my work focuses and has focused on over the year, trying to explore that, trying to investigate it, much like the work you're doing. And um, like you mentioned, the Pyramid of Power, the documentary series, that's one of my kind of big picture ways of looking at it's a 17-part documentary series. We've released 12 of them so far, looking at the different pieces of this puzzle and trying to help people see that each of these do deserve their own study and research, but also, as you mentioned, that it's it's a big that this is part of a larger machine. And I think sometimes people in their research might key in on one area and then sort of miss the the intersecting and the larger picture going on. And so now that we're at a point where COVID nineteen eighty four and like you said, the biomedical state has reared its head, and it's become clear that that's now the new focus as opposed to constantly keeping people afraid of terrorism you know that threat is still there if you need to whip it out and pull it out to scare people at any point but more now we've gone into this era of wear masks and you know be afraid of everything and there's a next pandemic somewhere on the horizon we're sure it's coming and it's going to be much worse and everybody should be prepared for it um yeah and it's all all of that though in my mind is just kind of window dressing to get to the goal which is this totalitarian system control system if they got to use terrorism if they got to use um the biomedical state you know whatever they need to use this is the the bigger picture is like aiming in that direction and technocracy is a part of that and uh you know the reason I chose to write the book originally in uh mid to late 2019 was because with my journalism I've been following digital surveillance tools since at least 2011, 2012, when I was still living in Houston, Texas, um, I was leaked some documents from a police officer showing that the activist group that I had created and that I was involved in was being surveilled by uh, criminal intelligence division of the HPD. And I was given some some documentation to prove this. And so that sort of began my interest and my curiosity of like, well, you know, what does surveillance tools, what are they really, you know, about what do they look like? And so I started with um, Stingray cell phone surveillance tools and then automatic license plate readers and facial recognition cameras and uh, thermal heat cam drones and uh, uh, 
voice detectors and gate detection and gunshot detectors and all this fun stuff. And I've just been paying attention to it for years. And I started to notice in 2017, I think I wrote an article that was this lawyers organization and lawyers and digital rights groups coming together to warn about the danger that we were walking into in terms of AI and facial recognition specifically. And nobody was paying attention. I mean, it was like a press release that I caught and I wrote an article about. I mean, obviously there are people like in our community maybe broadly paying attention, but as far as the mainstream, the average person really having no idea that this world we were already moving into pre-COVID. So I started to ask like, is it possible? Is it going to be possible to stay free to maintain individual liberty and bodily autonomy and privacy in this world that they're building, the world that we now know, Klaus Schwab and others call the fourth industrial revolution, the great reset, all these kinds of things. We've already known about Agenda 2030, but with COVID coming and then with the uh, biomedical state, the authoritarianism we saw in response to that, it became clear, okay, this is the direction they're taking it. And obviously the whole COVID operation was a total technocratic um, you know, operation in terms of um, trust the experts, trust the science, right? That's 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 a mantra straight out of the technocratic mindset, right? So what I'm getting at here is I, I was trying to trying to see, is there a way for us to stay free and what's coming? And I published the book January, 2020, right before COVID happened. I didn't say anything about viruses or COVID or anything. Obviously I didn't know. And I didn't think I predicted it per se, but I just read the you know room and saw that like, this is on the horizon. This is what's coming. We need to have a conversation about it. And so the book, the original book and the update is part call to action, like part warning of like, hey guys, this is what's happening. This is what's on the horizon. This is where we're headed. Look at uh, India and digital IDs. Look at China and uh, ubiquitous facial recognition and the problems with that. You know, look at the direction we're going in and this is going to happen in the West and what are we going to do about it? But also a call to action and some solutions that I put forward. And uh, that happened right before COVID. So needless to say, in the two and a half years that have passed since then, a lot has been learned, and so I thought it was time to write an update for it. A message from our sponsors. Our friends at Above Phone are on a mission to help people break free of the algorithm ghetto. They're starting with our phones because 99% of people today are addicted to the big tech ecosystem. We have alternative technologies available that Ramiro and his team at Above Phone have been evaluating. These tools are superior, not just alternatives. Are you ready to play above the rules of the surveillance capitalists? Let's remove our reliance on them for information, apps, and communications, and break free of their tracking. If we don't contribute to alternative software with our participation, we may lose the few choices we have. When you get a degoogled above phone, everything is made simple out of the box. Just plug your cell service in and go, or use Wi-Fi only. The above privacy suite provides important services using open source software that is run reliably and privately. It gives you a VPN, private email, search engine, encrypted chat, voice and video calls, a calendar service, and an anonymous internet phone number. Because getting people on better systems is so important, they've upped their dedication to support. With each phone, you get a 30-minute support call, 24-7 email, chat support, and a knowledge base. Just like with our food water, healthcare, schooling, and security, our tech needs to be sovereign. Browse available phones now and subscribe to the privacy suite at abovephone.com. Also, if you need health insurance that covers you wherever you may roam, check out my friend James Guzman's Borderless Health Insurance. One of the great things about living internationally is saving money on healthcare, but private care overseas can be expensive. Go to borderlesshealthinsurance.com to watch a short presentation on expat and digital nomad healthcare and sign up for a free consultation to review your options. And before getting to uh, solutions, I mean, you, you mentioned attorney. I, I had on recently the great John Whitehead of Rutherford Institute, mm-hmm. which talks about um, this stuff. Uh, sort of to get your idea, like how you see, to, for, for you to flesh out a bit more of what we're looking at. Because I talk to people, some people kind of poo poo. Uh, they think, and I call him Cobra Commander. Uh, Klaus Schwab, and and they say uh, they kind of poo poo. They they use Mexico as an example of that like oh we use cash here and it'll be take. They won't be able to implement this stuff here. I don't. I'm more cynical where I think they you know the the governors of Mexico tomorrow could just snap their fingers and say all businesses will be required to you know use QR codes um, or they will be you know clausurado like if they didn't force customers to use masks uh, they would be shut fined and, and and shut down. So I think a lot of this stuff is potentially uh, able to be implemented more quicker than, than people think. 
Uh, and so like the algorithm for me, algorithm ghetto for me sort of consists of a cashless society, you know, this, this push towards CBDCs, all countries now are bringing in, you know, the, the Mexican central bank, the Fed, the, you know, the, the, the EU is bringing in their digital uh, euro that will, they, you know, Lagarde came out recently and said it's going to be programmable. Uh, there's only a limit to how much you can keep. Uh, there's that. And then smart cities as well. I live in Guadalajara and I was shocked to discover Guadalajara is a smart city. It's called a resilient city. I found the documents. It's financed by the Rockefeller Foundation. They're, they're making, you know, removing car lanes, building out public transport as they do slowly want to reduce private vehicle use. They're building out pre-crime surveillance. They talk about cashless society. So, um, th this is kind of what I, how I see it and, and the social credit system where if you don't behave, you'll be shut off. You know, your bank account like Kanye West or uh, as you were talking about, you were surveilled. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security told PayPal to ban me. I'm banned from PayPal since April. So we're, wow. we're kind of like in the same, you know, similar boat here. So kind of what's what sort of your take on how real these things are and then, you know, how advanced uh, they are? Yeah, no, I think you're correct as far as um, the... A little bit of cynicism or realism, you know, in terms of how quickly these agendas are moving. Um, I think it is interesting you mentioned Guadalajara. I didn't know you were there, man. Now to see you, I was there just a few weeks ago for something, and I actually did notice that there is a fair amount of um, uh, like bike traffic and skate traffic and walking traffic. Which you know, this is the the deceptive part about things like Agenda Twenty Thirty and um, the co opting of the environmental movement that's taken place and been controlled really for a long time is that. Unfortunately, because of those agendas and the detrimental impact that they will have in the long term, I think there are some people in our broader movements who are afraid of environmentalism or they hear the word sustainable and they automatically assume it must be the worst thing ever because those words have been co-opted by the United Nations and World Economic Forum. So I think it is important to distinguish that. Like, for example, I'm a biker. I bike everywhere. More bike lanes. That's cool. You know, I appreciate the not getting hit by cars and it's cool when the streets are open. They do that here in Morelia sometimes as well, like in Centro for like on a Sunday afternoon, they'll let everybody just walk and bike. But I also, I'll be out and I'll be with my uh, my partner. I'll tell her like, you know, this is part of Agenda 2032, these same ideas. So are bike trails and bike lanes. And so I don't think everything they're promoting is inherently evil or wrong on its own. But when you understand, like you said, that they have a desire to encourage less driving and um whatever other you know meat eating for example like they're trying to socially engineer society right so they might do it in term in a, in a way that comes at you in a really nice convenient or even enjoyable way but it is important to recognize like the larger picture they have there right so i mean i think that's important because it might be more uh it might be more uh like it might be happening in your area more than you realize because of things like that right people don't necessarily think of um, even things like tiny houses or, you know, those sort of ideas, tiny houses can be cool. Maybe not everybody needs a giant house. You know, there's benefits that there's, there's, there's some, some positive element, but again, do they, would these people like for us to be living in tiny cramped apartments and giant buildings that we never go outside? Absolutely. Would they like us to not drive to not eat meat and do these things? And will they try to use propaganda to enforce those agendas or to make them popular? Absolutely. So, you know, it's a nuanced conversation that I think is important to happen. And even in, like you mentioned, Guadalajara, they, they were also trying out the, they called it a digital currency. I don't think it has caught on at all the Rapi or well, I can't remember. Uzi, 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 yeah, that's Uzi, what it was. Yeah. 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 So that, I remember when that was going on. So, I mean, being in Mexico, I do think there are benefits in terms of some places in Mexico being quote unquote behind in terms of technology. Obviously, Mexico is a vast country. So, you know, Mexico City is much different from countryside and, you know, uh, in Chiapas, you know, then the same thing. Tulum is totally different from the mountains of Michoacan. Like, so you're going to get different situations in different places. There are some places in Mexico, Guadalajara, Mex Mexico City, Monterrey, that are very tech savvy, you know, and they have the tech companies there and they've got cameras maybe in more places than you feel comfortable with. But then there are other places, I would include Morelia in this, like where it's not present yet. There are definitely efforts and you can see them creeping in, including Morelia has one of the uh, World Economic Forum Global Shapers Hub is based here. And we're actually inviting them to the greater reset. I'm trying to get them to come out and like, hey, you're working for the wrong team. But, but again, these are just bright, probably early 20-somethings who have been told the World Economic Forum and the United Nations are the way you do positive things in the world, right? They're not necessarily evil, bad people per se. It's just that they are winning 
in the propaganda war. I mean, the people like us who talk bad about the United Nations and the World Economic Forum are seen as conspiracy theorists by people in the mainstream because they've been conditioned to believe that these institutions are out there doing good, right? So to answer your question about like where I really think you know it's going, I think you've kind of described it already. Like I, I agree, like social credit scores, smart cities. I did a documentary a few years ago called The 5G Trojan Horse, kind of warning about not only the health concerns of EMFs, but the bigger picture of the smart cities, their surveillance and where it's going. And in that world, I don't know that there will be privacy or freedom, right? If you choose to stay in that, like, I do think that at some point, each of us, everybody hearing this is going to have to make different decisions based on where you live, what your needs are, how free you really want to be. Some of us might say, you know what? I don't really care if their cameras on me all the time. I don't care if they're watching me. That's fine with me. I just don't want to, uh, you know, have to wear a mask, right? Maybe that's your limit. For me, I want more than that, right? I want to maintain privacy as much as possible. I want to have freedom of movement, freedom of speech. I want to be able to own land, all these kinds of things. And it's important for me personally to make sure that I have those and or that I can work towards those things. And I know that in the future, they're creating the smart cities. You will own nothing and be happy social credit score that that vision doesn't work with the vision that I have for myself. And so this is why I started focusing on trying to opt out or get out of these systems or at least ultimately having a conversation about the relationship we have with digital technology. You know, for example, I noticed that you have recently partnered with my friend Ramiro Romani on the above phone. That is just another wise way. Like, look, we if you want to use the smartphone as a tool, do it in a smarter way. Look for something like the above phone where you can get the Google and the Apple and the Microsoft all of your devices. At least then you're you're moving closer towards a vision of freedom that I think most of us want instead of just saying, we're screwed. We're going to own nothing to be happy. I won't even bother trying, which is unfortunately what a lot of people out there in the comment section on the internet seem to be confined to or resigned to is they're just like, oh, I'm sure there'll be comments about this saying, well, have you never heard of Waco? Don't you know, as soon as you try to opt out and go form a community or try to grow food, they're just going to come kill you. So I guess for some people, the answer is to do nothing and just kind of wait for it to happen. But that's not enough for me. I don't want to just watch this vision. I don't have any kids yet, but I have six nieces and nephews and they're all 12 and under. And I could see the world that they're going to be you know, growing up in if we don't try to create some alternative or you know prevent i don't know that we can prevent what they're trying to do they have trillions of dollars invested in this every multinational corporation and nearly every government in the world involved massive propaganda marketing teams working with them you know we're we're kind of um i don't want to say it's hopeless or anything like that but we are definitely facing a giant uh, predicament here and i don't feel like it's for me personally best served to trying to like fight or quote unquote resist that or go play politics or be apathetic. Instead, to me, the vision and the, my work is always focused on, like, let's compete with their system directly. Let's build something as an alternative. And what that looks like, I don't know. I don't think any of us know. But if we don't start trying now, then there won't be an alternative. There will basically be you're born and the only option you have is you will own nothing and be happy. Technocracy, smart city, social credit score, stamped at birth, QR code on the forehead kind of thing, right? I want to avoid that. I would like any future children I have, or even if I never have kids, just the people coming after us to have an option. And maybe if we start building now and trying to get out of their systems in these different ways, whatever we create can be an alternative to what they're offering. Yeah. You, I mean, you mentioned Waco. I mean, I think this is nothing new under the sun. Always throughout history, there were groups that were uh, persecuted in the 20th century, 19th century, the Middle Ages. You know, I remember studying, I was a history major. Uh, I studied the, the the Waldensians. They were just people who wanted to read the Bible um, in their own language, I think in France, and they had to run from the Holy Roman uh, Empire who were trying to exterminate them. So kind of what you're saying is nothing um, new. And I, I do I do have my uh, above phone here I got from uh, Ramiro, so I'm happy with it. It's a de-Googled phone. And I mean, there were just a few just grumpy people in my Telegram. Saying, oh, you know, CIA, you know, uh, smartphone. I'm like, look, it's just de-Googled. Um, you know, why are you still using a computer or the Internet if you're that, <laughs> you know? Um, no, we, we use these tools to our advantage. It's just like you said, they're uh, alone. Uh, you know, you can use a knife to to put butter on your bread or to stab someone or you can you know you can use this phone uh so anyways i uh i think it's you know one, one good option and just to add to what you were saying earlier um with the young leaders in morelia um, i was teaching at the tech de monterey like a top uh, school in mexico and before COVID, like in 2015 16 i was kind of like promoting wef uh, you know, I was going to bring in virtual reality, reality goggles into the classroom with students. Mm -hmm. I was pushing gamification and kind of mm -hmm. like what you mentioned is like these people are not many of them knowing 
knowingly doing what they're doing they're just you know they i thought it was cool this technology was cool and it can be used for good but now i just see it being used for a lot of bad and then i just kind of stopped you know doing all of that stuff because i realized who klaus schwab was so those people you're describing they're just the useful idiots in a sense and i like bikes as well i think my comment there is uh, i'm not a big fan of cars but i like to have a car because you you need it i just don't like the idea of them not giving you the option that's the point like it's good it's good to have bikes it's good to have cars but what they want is you're not gonna have any meat you're not gonna have a car you're not gonna have anything and so that's what we kind of have to fight against and let's talk about then some solutions well let me just say one thing real quick on there if you can so i mean again just to add to that i i say that what i said earlier as a vegan as well like i'm a vegan i'm a bike rider but I don't want the government or Klaus Schwab or anyone to say you don't have the right to eat meat. You know, for me personally, it's like my beliefs come from, uh, you know, seeing, you know, uh, the belief of Ahimsa basically trying to do no harm. And I'm happy to have a philosophical discussion with somebody. I can also sit down with a meat eater and I don't, you know, that's, I, I, I appreciate other people's preferences and ideas. We can have a healthy conversation, but it is by no means my desire to have that ability for you to choose what's on your plate taken from you, right? I'd rather somebody have like a, conscious voluntary choice and say oh i choose to not eat animals if that's their path but so it you know it's important again for us to be nuanced in this conversation if i as a vegan can say hey i don't want meat eaters to be taken away the choice to eat meat if they want because i understand that that's going to lead to bad things maybe you know that's the problem is people are willing to accept really bad choices from the government or other things if it if it makes them feel good or serves their cause but then ultimately we see that that same power can be used against us right so maybe one day they're like all right no more meat and the vegans celebrate but then the next day they're like okay but you can't even eat whole food vegan diet you can only eat bug vegan diet right which is not something i support or endorse i don't eat beyond burgers bill gates crap like uh, you know that's not my thing i actually started a group called vegans against agenda 2030 to try to educate the other vegans who are kind of been indoctrinated many of them who are being indoctrinated are becoming vegan for the climate and it's this kind of thing they're like oh yeah we should take away people's right to eat meat we should eat the bugs or we should support bill gates burgers and stuff like that so yeah it's important to have a nuanced conversation about these things and and i hope people hearing this can do so in the future yeah that's a um great point and moving to the counter economics or solutions i think you write in your book counter economics suggests that moral people break bad laws by choosing uh, to consciously opt out of systems that do not align with their values um and, and i can i've kind of been doing that uh, a bit and there's just you know there's people can go to different uh limits um you you also write i believe opting out of the technocratic state should go hand in hand with opting out of the military industrial complex the central banking system school system corporate media complex pharmaceutical complex and so there's a lot of ways people are doing that you know homeschooling i i don't really go to doctors anymore unless it's an emergency Mm -hmm. you know you have um uh, homeopathy natural sort of care and so there are all these different ways to do this you know you can start by de-googling your phone or just using a dumb phone or just not even having a smartphone so on and 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 so forth and uh, a lot of talk in my um podcast has been this idea of parallel society parallel economy parallel structures uh Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of people leaving urban areas moving to rural areas to different countries down to mexico it's insane i'm sure you've seen how many people are fleeing (laughs) down to mexico uh um and so just your thoughts on how then to opt out as you say of the technocratic system and uh, the great reset yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned counter-economics. So I would just provide a little bit of background for those who are interested um, in where that term comes from. So a lot, lot of my work over the years, and especially this book, has been inspired by uh, this activist thinker from America who died in 2004. His name was Samuel Konkin III. He was very active in the U.S. in the 60s student movements of, you know, just the the anti-war Vietnam protests and then the kind of beginning of the modern libertarian volunteerist movement in the U.S. and uh, worked with people like Murray Rothbard and Carl Hess and a lot of well-known libertarian anarchist thinkers in the 60s and 70s. And that was kind of his prime time, 60s, 70s, going into 80s, and then he sort of slowed down in the 90s, and then he he died in the early 2000s. But he was watching everything going on that time, the war in Vietnam, the draft, he was student of history as well. And he basically came to this conclusion that the idea that politics was going to fix things was was a failed idea. This was back in the 60s. Not only did he think there was just, it wasn't a realistic you know, idea to think that politics could solve all the many problems and corruption that we have going on, and not just the United States, but in governments around the world. Uh, but he also thought that it was immoral to try to say, hey, well, just because we host, we hold a vote, we can force everybody to go along with our vision of society. So he ruled voting out as a path, right? So then 
If you're not going to vote, what else do you do, right? Some people would say then violence, right? You try to have a revolution, throw a brick through a window, something like that. He rejected violence as well as immoral initiation of violence. He believed in self-defense, but he rejected violence, uh, insurrection as immoral, and didn't see it also as, even if it wasn't immoral, he just thought it's not a good strategic win. You know, these people, now they have drones, they have all kinds of stuff we described. You're not going to win. Um, so he ruled out violence, he ruled out voting. And at this point, most people would say then the only thing left is to be apathetic, to just, I guess, give up or be cynical and accept that, you know, we're screwed. But Konkin did some some kind of theorizing, and he started studying uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union. He would write about that, as well as um, there's a few other countries that you can see basically that throughout history, that every time the government gets tries to get stronger and more centralized and more clamped down, that you end up with this alternative, underground, informal, or what he called counter economy, where people. And the case of Russia, for example, even the people who were working for the government were going to the black market for food and for extra supplies, right? So on the surface, it's like this system that everybody only buys from certain places, but behind the scenes in the black market, everybody's buying extra rice and extra bread because they needed to survive, right? And that black market, that counter economy, it def- there's some pretty good research showing that it factored into the collapse of the Soviet Union for sure, just because it grew and grew and grew probably to a billion dollar plus market outside of the state's hands. And so he was looking at that and looking at some other examples and just seeing that if the government becomes more and more aggressive or tries to become more and more restrictive, people will naturally seek a workaround. They will seek a way outside of that system. And so he termed that like the counter economics, the informal economics, underground economy. Now, this is very prevalent in places like Mexico and much of Central and South America, where many people do stop, still operate on cash. Now, of course, with COVID, we see more places trying to push to go cashless or QR code menus and stuff like that. But by and large, Mexicans deal in cash. People who are out selling fruit all day, they're not reporting taxes on that. They're just making cash and spending it, right? They're they're living the counter-economic life. And what Konkin's belief was that if enough people realize that there was strength outside of the government, instead of thinking like, oh, I need to get my license and my permit, and now I'm a real person, right? Like, for example, Mexicans coming from Mexico to the US, like my partner's family, they see it as like a sense of accomplishment when they finally get their paperwork, right? Whereas in this idea, you would try to educate and teach people that their strength outside, like don't get into their system, you know, make money outside of their system, don't feed their war machine, their surveillance machine, don't give them any of your money when possible. uh, And funnel that basically into the local economy and creating some new alternative. So his idea was that if we use counter economics as like a conscious strategy and enough people started moving to what he called the gray and the black markets, then we could start to essentially starve the state of resources. And the idea would be creating that parallel network, parallel society that you were talking about. And when he's talking about gray and black market, he kind of distinguished between like, let's say the mainstream economy is the white market. That's like, if you're Working a job, whether you're a waiter or working in an office, it's taxable. There's a record of it. You got a paycheck that the government's taking money out of. That's like white market, mainstream taxed uh, IRS job, right? They know about it. Whereas the gray market and the black market are part of this counter economy, which is outside of that. Now, gray market would be more specifically like if, for example, in the US, you're supposed to get a license to get a haircut, to cut someone's hair. You're supposed to get a license to do anything pretty much. Well, if you say, I'm not going to get a license, I'm just going to open up shop and cut people's hair. Because if somebody wants to cut their hair, I give them a price. That's two people's verbal agreement. There's no need for a third party. We cut the hair, we exchange the money. So you're technically operating in that gray market. You're not doing anything technically illegal. You're not vi- you're, you're not getting a permit and the government looks down on that, but it's not something they would necessarily put you in prison for, right? So that's kind of gray market. And it's a little bit more of a softer approach, right? So if this idea is new to you, let's say that you just you cut hair or you offer your services and the government expects you to get a license to do it or a permit. Or let's say you host an event, a marketplace where you just let everybody come and put tables up and sell their goods and whatever they have, and you don't get permission for it. You don't get a permit or a license. You just do it. That's gray market. Now, the black market would specifically be things that the government says are illegal. Now, being that Konkin was a voluntarist and believed in the non-aggression principle, Black market doesn't mean anything like violent. I think some people hear black market and they think like mafia and things like that. But black market just simply means in his terms, things that the government says are illegal. And in fact, Konkin had another market that he called the red market, which would be illegal and violent things. So he, you know, he kind of separate, that's like murder, theft, et cetera. Whereas what he's describing is simply saying, let's say the government says it is, um, 
one one example it's illegal for people to sell cannabis or to what if one day they say it's illegal to sell tomato plants anything like that and you choose to do it anyways again you're making a conscious choice to ignore these bad laws because you you know you're not causing anybody harm and there's a person who wants to buy your tomato plant or your cannabis or get the massage from you or get the haircut from you or whatever and you just ignore the laws the license requests and you do it anyways and so his idea was that if more people were consciously doing this from either little bits to bigger things in their lives, like taking their money out of the banks. And like I mentioned earlier, I expand this to the financial system, the farm, you know, health industry, education, et cetera, looking at all these areas. How can we build a counter economy, a counter uh, institution to the state's institution, to the corporates, corporations, institutions? And that's what Konkin's kind of big picture was. He called the place he was, the better world he was trying to build, the agora from the Greek marketplace. And so he called this agorism, the philosophy and counter economics was kind of the strategy to get there. And um, I I just, I haven't used a bank since 2008. So when I first heard about Konkin in 2011, I was already kind of living this lifestyle and it made a lot of sense to me. And then as time has gotten, you know, as the control has gotten more and more strong, I see the benefits of not being, you know, not having a relationship with the IRS or not, you know, having um, a license and not having a bank account. It doesn't mean it's easy. Of course, that's the thing is the world they're creating is going to be increasingly difficult to operate sort of halfway in halfway out which is what i think a lot of people are trying are kind of doing right now it's like okay i'm got my foot in the door a little bit but i'm also sort of outside of the matrix and i think that's fine for right now but i do believe as i described in the book that when facial recognition is everywhere and the social credit scores come in like if you're still in that system it's going to be very difficult to try to then untangle yourself so the idea is let's be forward thinking since we can see what's coming and start trying to take practical steps to get out of their systems yeah, and as you just mentioned, it really is a hard road um, ahead, and it's it's work. If you want more freedom, it's it's kind of like um, you know w- when you're trying to have a device where you have more uh, security. It's a lot of work. If you you know if you're trying to get out of like Windows using Windows and using Linux and other stuff, most people they would they prefer convenience right and so yeah. it's it, it's a lot of work and i was just going to mention you know th- there are other things as you mentioned there are legal ways like for americans if you live abroad um like i have for many years you have the foreign earned income uh, exclusion so you don't pay um taxes up to a certain amount l- legally so there's you know there's different ways to live your life to do that uh and exactly. uh, but I, I did read in mexico recently in some beach i think it was last summer and that mexican national guard came and there were these masseuse uh, uh, on the beach and they didn't have licenses and i was kind of shocked wow. um, the national guard actually came and uh shut them down because they didn't have a license which is not common in mexico as you said in many no. parts of mexico people just sh- set up shop and um work and and m- make a living but just uh going forward i i will find it difficult going forward because as you said here in mexico they started the Huzi project in Guadalajara. They're bringing in digital currencies uh, on um, in, in Mexico, like two years ago, they made it obligatory to turn on geolocation to access your uh, bank account on your smartphone or computer. So they wow. need to know where you are or otherwise you can't access your money. So these steps are are, are coming in um, and I think it's going to be difficult. But I, I find most of the time community is very important. Many of my guests say you need to have like a network, a community yep. of people. Um, I found in different parts of Mexico, you know, through your uh Mexico uh, freedom cell on telegram and, and other places I can see there are communities all over Mexico people ask me where should I go in Mexico I mean it really depends on what you want there's people yeah. on the west coast like Puerto Vallarta there's people more in central parts like Chiapas Oaxaca Veracruz Cancun area Mexico mm-hmm. City uh San Miguel Allende Guadalajara mm-hmm. I mean there's Japala there's just there's a lot <laughs> yeah there's a lot and so uh, community seems to be uh, important. I found some groups in Jalisco that are kind of like um, the end of the world as we know it's Earth. They're preparing, you know, they're building homes together, um, looking at food security, water security, and that sort of thing. And so just further thoughts on how to prepare for the uh, road um, ahead and, you know, any, any, yeah. any other thoughts there? Yeah, no, I think what you said there was extremely important. First about Mexico, that yeah, that's really surprising and disappointing. But unfortunately, you know, it, during COVID, I did hear a few stories of a couple random places in Mexico where 
the beach was shut down or there was some authoritarian elements. But by and large, during COVID, as you know, was Mexico was pretty uh, pretty calm, especially compared to places like Australia, Austria, Germany, Canada, things like that. You know, um, so but that doesn't mean Mexico's immune. I mean, I think this is one important thing because I have been helping people move down to Mexico uh, since I first came in March 2020. I mean, I've been visiting for eight years, but when I moved to Morelia in uh, March 2020, right as COVID was beginning, right after I put out the book, I, when they, when the U.S. started talking about restricting interstate travel, that was like the red line in the sand for me. So we were just like, no, let's go, let's go to see your my my um, partners families from san miguel so we went to san miguel and just like watched and then eventually made our way out here but that doesn't mean that can't come here you know people i think have this some people have this vision in their mind they think mexico is perfect or that everybody here is just like a rebel and nobody you know is gonna give in ever it's like it let's just be realistic there are people who are propagandized just like in mexico just like every other country in the world and there are also people who are very questioning and who are um, skeptical of things like that. You know, one of the reasons I've focused so much energy out here on trying to get my works, like including this book we're talking about, translated into Spanish, which it is, um, my documentaries and such, is because, as you know, there's not as a huge, at least not as, as much in English, truth movement. Like there has been um, in English for now over a decade, decades, for example, but since the beginning of YouTube, for example, People have been making English documentaries and putting out English books and podcasts and stuff like that. Not all of those things have made it to Spanish yet. And so to me, I see that potential of like, wow, imagine getting all that information and just the way it woke up all these other people, how much that can impact not only Mexico, but just the whole Spanish speaking world. So I say that just to say that nowhere is perfect. Don't like, don't assume Mexico is um gonna solve all your problems. And it's also a big diverse country, like you said. I mean, I'm up here in the mountains. Um, everybody thinks Mexico is all hot. Like it's, we were pretty, pretty similar climates, uh, right now, uh, in Guadalajara and Morelia, but you know, to find a place that works for you and community is going to be key to that. So no matter where you live, whether you live in the United States, Europe, Australia, or you're thinking of Mexico, community is going to be key. And this is one of the reasons why with the freedom cell network, what we do is freedom cell network. What we do at freedomcells.org is, um, try to give people some simple, basic infrastructure to find, find each other. Um, you know, one of the, one of the most common complaints or concerns, or I guess just fears for those who are black pilled and paranoid out of their minds all the time is that why would you sign up for a website where they ask you to put your location? Cause they're just going to send it to the CIA. So I'll say it a hundred uh, for the hundredth time that you can join freedomcells.org. You can create a free profile. We ask that you to put your interests, your goals, your skills, not for us to send to the CIA, but because if people, if you want people to find you so you can build community, it's important that they know a little bit of something about you and they know whether or not they should message you or invite you out to meet up in the real world. We also never tell anybody to give us their home address or anything like that. You know, put Guadalajara or, you know, pick a neighborhood nearby you or the park nearby. You don't have to put your home address. We don't want it. We don't ask for it. We don't need it. You can be completely anonymous on the side if you want. So put a fake name if you want, put a fake, you know, area of town. But obviously, if people are looking for you and you're not even in the, you know, the map says you're in some other lo location than you are, it might be hard to build community that way. The whole goal with the website is that, again, you put your skills, your interests. We have what we call roles where people can put, uh, I'm a landowner or I'm seeking land or I'm an artist, just different categories like that. So that when you visit someone's profile, you can get sort of a, a quick understanding of who they are. Okay. They're interested in permaculture, digital design. Uh, their goal is to get some land. Okay. This seems like somebody I want to get to know. They're 15 miles away from me or in that general range. Let me message them and say, Hey, would you like to meet up in the real world? Or because we have two maps, we have the members map, which will help you find people in your area. You can search five to 10, 15, whatever kilometers near you. You can also search on the cell map, which will show you cells or groups. People call them hubs, hives, circles, whatever. The name is kind of irrelevant. It's just the goal of what it is. But you can find groups that exist in your community and in your area. And people are having success with it. I mean, ultimately, of course, it's up to the humans once you guys connect to take action and decide, okay, let's start with uh, getting off Google phones. Let's buy an above phone. Okay, let's start growing our own food. Let's pull our kids out. You know, you got to make a game plan as a community. The idea is that these freedom cells, these groups, these hubs are the local support network so that we can prepare together for what's coming. I don't think we need to prepare for the end of the world because that can probably be a pretty sad experience sometimes. But what I've found is that the more I've woken up to these things and I've realized I don't, I want to get out of their food system, their healthcare, their education, et cetera, that this is also just a better way to live as far as I'm concerned, right? So let's imagine that tomorrow I, I woke up and I realized, oh my God, I have just been a conspiracy theorist. None of this stuff is true. It's all in my head. 
I would still continue this path because this to me is just a better way to live. I want to be close to the earth. I want to grow as much of my food as possible, or at least have a relationship with the people who are growing the food that I'm eating. I would want my kids to be, you know, educated in a more free way than the propaganda systems offer, right? So even if there's no doomsday to prepare for, I feel like this is just a better path that maybe some of us are going to pursue either way. But at the end of the day, you will need community. I don't think any of us can do this alone. Uh, personally, I've been working with a group of about six, seven people, five households. Uh, we're we're working on getting some land out here in Michoacan. We've been working for together for two years now, scouting land, getting to know each other, coming up with conflict resolution process, decision-making process, entry and exit agreements, uh, had ups and downs, you know, becoming friends, becoming a community. And I specifically went, like, I didn't choose anybody I know within the movement or friends. Like, I wanted to kind of meet new people to see if we were on the same um, same ideas, and but we've taken two years to do that. It kind of seems like a long time, but I think there, I've noticed a lot of people, like you mentioned, coming to Mexico, especially related to the Greater Reset. People come to the Greater Reset, they meet all these folks, they get really excited, and then maybe they buy land together a couple months later. They don't really know each other. They end up suing each other. They end up having to get the lawn. You know, it just it can get messy. So, community is important, but take your time getting to know people, especially if you're talking about community in terms of buying land. You know, if you're not planning on that and you're just trying to have like a network in the town or city you live in, Freedom Cells is still great for that. And what I, what I was saying is that the people I've met as I've been touring around, I did a tour of uh, Mexico back in March and April. I did 20 different events around the country. And then in the fall of last year, I did a 60 day, 30 city tour of the US. And I got to meet a lot of people who told me specifically when COVID came and we got locked down, I used the Freedom Cell website or the Freedom Cells on Telegram, which have also grown the last couple of years and are just totally decentralized. I mean, I admit a couple of them, but they're just people organizing them in Portugal, India, all over the world. And people told me, I used the Freedom Cells to find friends and help me realize I wasn't alone. Some of some people told me that they bought land with people they met through the Freedom Zone Network, that they started homeschooling their kids together, that they took their money out of the banks together, right? The people who are taking advantage of this network that we're just kind of putting out there, we create the infrastructure, it's out there, we try to keep it maintained and improve it. But other than that, like what the real work is you using it, finding somebody, leave the website behind, start building in the real world, start building relationships, right? And that's where the work really needs to take place. So, I mean, community is absolutely essential. Um, again, I would check out the Freedom Cells website. And if people can come in person, the Greater Reset is next month in Texas and Mexico, and you can watch online for free. We encourage people, if you can't come in person, to organize local watch parties or what we call activation hubs. So imagine that you're listening right now from Australia, you're like, there's no way I could make it to Texas or Mexico. But maybe you can, in the next 30 days that we have to the event, find a local venue or somebody's backyard or your house or whoever wants to open it up, a coffee shop. And maybe you can't watch all five days of the event, but you pick a day that matters most to your community, like take back our tech. You're like, I want to learn more about that above phone and getting off big tech. So organize your people and say on this day, let's gather for these hours. We're going to listen to these talks. Let's have group discussions, you know, make it an event. You don't have to come to Texas or Mexico necessarily to do this. We need people doing this all over the world. But if you can come in person, I promise you, it's going to be an extremely life-changing, empowering experience. And so many people are coming there just for the purpose of meeting other like-minded people. It's so important that we do have that connection because I wrote in the, the new update to the book, um, I don't think I've said this yet, but the new update has five new chapters and a new introduction. It's about 50 new pages of material that one of the ways we were attacked during COVID, and I think we will continue to be attacked, is by trying to isolate us, which we saw spikes in depression, suicide, alcoholism, you know, all these kinds of things, learning disabilities. So that is one, they want to isolate us. They want to make us feel alone. They want to make us feel crazy. They want us to question ourselves, especially as content creators. Uh, and journalists, they want us to feel like nobody's listening. So it's so important to have that community. I mean, I felt like such a sense of, uh, I don't know, just like reconnection when I went on tour and actually was like, oh my God, there's humans face to face, not just talking into a camera, right? There's actually people out there. Because as you know, I'm sure sometimes you do feel like, is anybody, is this worth my time? Is like, it hasn't, is it having an impact? Are people listening? You can have moments where it feels almost futile. But it was great to go out and through the Freedom Cell Network, through the Greater Reset, meet people face to face. You know, I look forward to meeting you face to face and actually having that human connection, which again is very much what they do not want us to have. Yeah, I was going to say I, I went, uh, I think in January earlier this year to a libertarian conference out in Sayulita, like Clint Russell, Mark Clare, um, Buck Johnson, all have who have been guests on my TNT uh, show, and just it. it 
it gave me energy. It reinvigorated me. And now I actually, pe- people might poo poo me for this, but I'm using the technology, whatever I can until, until I can use it. I just ordered uh, Elon Musk, um, Starlink. Uh, I'm not a fan of Elon Musk, but it gives me internet wherever I roam in, wherever I may roam in, um, Mexico. So I can broadcast, um, from anywhere with good, uh, internet. And so, because I want to be going to more conferences now. I've been energized and I find it valuable meeting people, networking, and then it, it brings more opportunities. And so I'm looking forward to going to um, seeing a greater reset in um, Morelia. I was also going to mention uh, that comment you made about freedom cells. I, you know, I also have that same criticism, but I've always been sort of a Doug Casey international man sort of guy. He's been a guest on my um, show where he, he's always talked about just drop him off in any country and he'll, find his way and i mean for 20 years i've been loving living abroad and i'm just kind of the kind of person you know through local friends and you know my church or whatever i find i i become a local you know and i just kind of find build my own network which is not like on some digital platform but even still you can go to freedom cell whatever city you live in you you find the the head of freedom cell in that city you don't have to divulge any personal information you just go to their meetup and then you just start meeting them uh and that, that exactly. way you, you don't have to on freedom cell list anything and then that way uh for the people who have felt comfortable listing their information you just find them and then you start working with them uh locally exactly. wh- wherever they are um you know i think we've covered uh a lot as you mentioned although all of the links will be in the the description greater reset maybe just one more thought on uh you know this is also an interesting topic this um this idea a lot of people bring up of um controlled opposition and the way i see it is in the in the independent media alt media movement i'm seeing uh there's a lot of shady stuff i'm sure that you see there seem to be there's I, i'm noticing there are grifters there are people that mm-hmm. care less about the intellectual parts but more about making money and they're very narcissistic and it's like a popularity contest and then you've sure. got shills um and then i i don't doubt there are you know cointelpro um wittingly or unwittingly and you see a lot it's by this divide and conquer strategy it's often the people who are uh involved in in infighting no and so um it but you know i won't say any names for that because it's hard to confirm if anyone is actually um you know working for the state but i think it's just important to mention um that we we shouldn't be infighting and 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 this sort of thing we should be sort of working together i mean do you have any thoughts uh on this Uh, yeah yeah, I'll just share that for one. I mean, as you, as I'm sure, I think you mentioned earlier that there are people who, I mean, probably both of us have been called controlled opposition or shills or agents by somebody at some point, right? It's just the internet. It's the nature of the work. But um, I do notice, I have noticed, in fact, an increase, I think, in less quality content over the last two to three years during COVID. And I want to remind people that during event 201 uh, in October 2019, prior to this whole operation, one of the things they talked about was the strategy of flooding the zone, flooding the zone with, they claimed, truthful information to stop the spread of disinformation. But I think also they flooded the zone with a lot of crap. I, I don't ever, I don't really spend my time going on, oh, this doctor's fake, this doctor's fake, they're not who they claim to be. But it was pretty weird to me that all of a sudden all these truther doctors start popping up over the last couple of years and people claiming things. And, and like you said, a lot of times very loose with the facts, very sensational. And then others who just spend their time trying to call out whoever they think is controlled opposition. Personally, I have my suspicions. You know, if I was to have a private conversation, I could share my personal thoughts. But I don't have documents that prove these things. And will we ever have a document that proves Alex Jones works for the CIA or something like that? More than likely not, right? So you could either spend your time and, you know, running your wheels, just trying to figure this out and get, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't do investigations, obviously, and we should be skeptical of people. But if that's all you do, then everything that we've described in this conversation is totally going to elude you. If all you do is spend your time online watching the show, it's important to tune into shows like this to get informed and think. But if all you do is watch the show and it just becomes conspiratainment, infotainment, and then you just in the comment section calling people as shills or doing this, when do you have time to actually think about what's coming next, right? Because these people, once again, are working night and day on their mission. We're about to go into 2023. Their vision is 2030. That gives us seven years where they would like to have this whole world transformed. If you're not working night and day to try to make sure yourself, your family, and your loved ones are going to survive and thrive into the future, and you're just spending your time arguing about who's a shill and this conspiracy or that conspiracy, 
I think you're going to regret it later. And and again, that's not to say nobody should do research. Obviously, that's what my work is focused on. But I'd rather be focusing on solutions and being productive with everything we're facing. Very good uh, points. You said it better than uh, I could have. And just uh, real quick before I ask your final thought, uh, just any thought on you know on geopolitics when it comes to geopolitics, U.S. Empire, Ukraine, and and World War Three. I mean, do you think that's just a distraction? Do you think it has the potential to to, to escalate? Just any quick thought on uh, Ukraine. Um, at this point, I'm not sure what to make of it. I mean, I think there's multiple things going on. Obviously, this FTX thing ties in there recently, and there's some other stories I've been keeping up that have ties to Ukraine. Um, I think it was at least for a few months a convenient scare tactic to keep everybody think we're about to go, you know, to World War III. Could it happen? Will it happen? I, I, I'm not the one to predict that. But I definitely, every time these kinds of stories pop up, I try to keep in the back of my mind of really understanding how, as you started the conversation with earlier, how interconnected these systems are. And sometimes I have trouble believing that the arguments between the US and China and Russia on the TV are are real. Yeah, I have uh, similar feelings. It's really hard to figure out. We're in this uh, fog of war, hall of mirrors. All right. Uh, any any final thought for us? And again, we're, uh, all all of your links will be in the description. But if you want to just cool. let us know, wh- where are the best ways to find find you uh, online? And, and at this moment, what are your most uh, important projects? Appreciate that, brother. And thank you for having me on. So my main website is always theconsciousresistance.com. That's where you can find my books, including the one we mentioned, my documentaries, podcasts, articles, interviews. Um, I write weekly articles for uh, The Last American Vagabond with Ryan Christian. Uh, the Pyramid of Power that I mentioned, you can find that at thepyramidofpower.net. And uh, the book, you know, obviously the book just came out, so that's going to be my big focus. And if you want to tune in or come in person to a solutions-focused event, The Greater Reset is happening January 18th to the 22nd, 2023. It's five days. We are literally meeting at the same time as Davos is meeting. This is us providing an alternative. Not from a top-down authoritarian perspective, but from a bottom-up, grassroots, people-powered, decentralized, localization perspective. So if you can come, Texas, go ahead and do it, Central Texas, or come to Mexico. If not, uh, tune in online for free. And yeah, just, you know, if you want to follow my work and keep up, please do. And thank you, brother, for all that you do. Well, I'll be seeing you in in, in Mexico uh, soon, Derek. Again, everyone can follow Derek's work uh, and, and projects. Links are in the description. And again, thank you for being on Geopolitics and Empire, Senor Bros. Gracias. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up to the free email list that notifies you of every new podcast and other important updates. The email list and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's almost impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine, We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently strikes videos. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit, Twitter, and LinkedIn take down posts. After the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, or the Atlantic Council, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our pro account at one point. In April of 2022, the Department of Homeland Security had PayPal ban us for life. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the entire podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can support this guerrilla signal by donating via DonorBox, Buy Me a Coffee, Subscribestar, or Crypto. You can purchase a consultation with the host to talk about expatriation, geopolitics, or podcasting. You can also become a monthly or annual member via Stripe and receive benefits such as partaking in a monthly member Zoom call, get access to a weekly recording of my random thoughts, and a private Telegram channel. Thank you for listening.